Friends, let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So there is a question reverberating out of these texts today. And it's a question simply of why. Why do we follow where the source goes? In our reading in Exodus, I think we can have some real sympathy for these Israelites. Anytime any of us might be caught in a wilderness journey, when we're away from our home, it can begin to be discomforting. And even more so here for our dear friends in Exodus, not only are they lost in the wilderness, they're moving from one place to the other, now, at this point that we meet them, they don't even have the basic necessities that they require. And when we lack those basic supplies for our journeys, we long for home. Have you ever had that one awful camping trip that it's raining the whole time, and then your tent starts to leak, and everything's muddy, and all you want to do at that point is just go home for a hot meal and a warm shower. Of course, we long for that home, and we might forget, though, what was there before. Yes, I might want to get cleaned up from my awful camping trip, but I still probably have dishes to do, and I have laundry to do, and I've got to clean up from that mess from the wilderness. It's always interesting to me to go back to these times when the Israelites start to grumble and wish for Egypt as if they have forgotten that they came out of bondage and slavery. That this whole story in Exodus got started because of the nastiness of the Egyptians with the Israelites. But please, in the wilderness, when we're lacking our basic necessities, please let me go back home. For God's people, Egypt was not a place of true safety nor comfort. It was a place where they were enslaved. They cried out for their freedom, but now the allure of food and water is more meaningful than the promises of the source. And so they ask, why? And in John, we read the beginning of the passage that isn't always added as part of the lectionary text, but we see that John explains that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Had to. It was necessary. But why? Turns out that is not the only way to get where Jesus was going back home. There were multiple routes throughout the, the area of Jerusalem. Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. At best, we could argue that it is a more direct path in his route, but that's about it. There's also, as John mentions, some bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. Things were not good between the two groups of people, so there was no cultural reason to go. It wasn't like you could go on a road trip and go visit your buddy halfway on the road trip. No, there was no reason to go there, but yet we, he had to go. 
As we continue, dear friends, on our Lenten journey that we remember started in the wilderness and we're working on clearing our streams, it's worth continuing to ask ourselves what is the most stubborn thing that we struggle with to remove from our streams, to clear them, to allow the living water to be with us, near us, clean and free. Certainly what's happening in these texts can be amongst some of the most tricky to clear. I'm willing to let go of some stuff, but I'm not always willing to let go of comfort. We develop habits, we develop certain ways of doing things, behaviors, ways of living that perhaps we know won't necessarily help us, but they provide us a comforting stability. Any of you used to be smokers? Any of you used to, when it, things got particularly stressed out, you said, now's the time I need that cigarette. Studies show pretty definitively that smoking is not on the top 10 list of healthy things for any of us to do. I don't even think in the top 50, as far as I can tell. But you know, you get in that habit you know it's not, but for folks who may have done that, it can be a source of comfort for them. And gosh, millions of other habits that we can participate in that if we're honest, we know doesn't actually help us clear our streams, but in the time that we need it, it is a source of comfort. And those comforts over time can help us create our culture. We value certain things over others, sometimes certain people over others. We build a way of living and build relationships with other like-minded people. We all have stubbornness in our streams and it makes it feel a little better if we all are together struggling with the same thing because maybe that's just always the way it was supposed to be. When we believe we have to wander from our comforts and our culture, we can find that our trust ultimately becomes diminished. And in both cases, both with the Israelites and the disciples, we can see how they question what's happening. And while it may be easy in both cases to assume that the people are questioning their leader, I mean, Moses just comes out and says that I'm worried about getting stoned by the Israelites. I don't think it's that cut and dry. Instead, I think it's a question about trusting God. Why would God bring the Israelites into the wilderness without the basic necessities? Why would God bring the disciples and Jesus into Sychar at Jacob's well with a bunch of Samaritans? And it seems to me that in both cases today, the answer to why is about salvation. In this case, with Exodus, the Israelites, God saves them. He provides them what they need and not just happen to stumble on a river or a clean stream. No, God commands Moses to get water from a rock by hitting a stick on it. That is miracle work if I've ever heard it. Have any of you, show of hands, gotten water from a rock before? 
I've never seen it. <laughs> so there's something magic happening as they've been willing to go through the wilderness. Jesus is also providing this saving water to the Samaritans. First, through the woman at the well, and then to the rest of the area of Sychar through this woman. Do you notice at first it's because of the woman's testimony? And then after a while, the folks are like, it's not even about you anymore, ma'am. It's about what I've heard, what I've seen. I came to this source of living water, and now I believe as well. And therein lies a fascinating question for each of us as we think about these stubborn things in our streams. What would have happened had they not gone at all? I would love to see water come from a rock. I would love to see people who I am not in community with, people who seem outright hostile to me, come to the same conclusions of how to live our lives and to go be saved. I would love to see that. And of course, salvation is a complicated question for us, but gosh, you know, I'd love to see people who do not look like me or think like me see Jesus as the source of living water. But if they had not gone, they would have seen none of it. So working out our salvation, witnessing it in others and ourselves looks a lot then like discipleship, doesn't it? It's a relationship with God and others along a journey to head to the source. The people of God in Exodus needed to go. They had prayed for salvation from Egypt. Yet the journey to the promised land was not easy. Even when God promised at the beginning to take care of God's people, they still needed to understand it. They still needed to see it. They still needed it to be proven to them. Between the people of God and God, through Moses here, God once again hears the need of God's people and uses Moses and his fancy stick to satisfy those needs. And now, for a time at least, relationships are strengthened and discipleship is fostered. And Jesus also builds a relationship with the Samaritan woman. Interestingly enough, by the way, if you notice, without the disciples. Jesus asked the disciples to go do a DoorDash run which is really amongst the strangest things. And then I love that the disciples are like, well, did somebody else drop off the food? But Jesus sends them on their merry way. Go, go get some food. And then that's when he builds the relationship with the Samaritan woman at the well. Because I wonder what the disciples would have said had they not gone. Oh, Jesus, we, we don't talk to Samaritans. We do. What? 
why would you talk to a woman like this? Well, well, first off, Jesus, why would you talk to a woman at all? But why would you talk to this woman? Now, of course, we paint this person as somebody who's done terrible things, but truthfully, we don't know. As far as we can tell, this woman could have had four husbands pass away and the fifth could be a son. We don't know. The implications, all we know is that Jesus knew. But certainly, we hear that and we're saying, oh my gosh, why would we, why would we fraternize with these folks? Why are you as a rabbi, Jesus, talking to a woman? And all of these things would have been respectable customs for the disciples to adhere to. This was the way that they lived. But look what happens. This is what's so cool about this. All of those transgressive actions that Jesus conveniently gets the disciples out of the way for lead to the good news being shared, the gospel coming to life. And Jesus says and shows that there are many, many, many others who desire the same. The harvest is ready, already ready. So again, we see what happens with discipleship and relationship. When heading to the source of the waters, God is there. In this case, this is one of the most explicit understandings of Jesus Christ being the living water, the source of our streams. When we go to where Jesus is and happen to walk along in discipleship and relationship, God is there. Relationships change. People already who are disciples of Jesus Christ see their worlds changing. I imagine that the disciples, after experiencing this, may have had a little bit of a repentance moment, a change of heart, a change of mind that perhaps Jesus is for not just my group, but for this group of Samaritans as well. New disciples are found in unlikely others. And so it is no overstatement to say that there are miracles on the other side of discipleship. Brilliant things are happening at the source of the living water. But why? Why would we go to the source? Because I think in our heart of hearts, the one unaffected by comfort, the spirit that has not grown old by the tired disappointment of lost expectations, that part of us truly still wants to see miracles happen. That we'd still like to see people who are out on the outside to be welcomed in with open arms. That the systems in place today could be changed. We want to know that all of the process of maintaining a clear, life-giving stream close to the source is worth the effort. Otherwise, why not just stay in the comfort of what we know? And as we talked about last week, 
the source will continue to go where it is needed, and that will include the wilderness without all of the conveniences of home. It will include the places like Samaria, the places that are discomforting and unfamiliar and perceived as hostile to us and the journey that we're on. And so we could stay where we're at if we chose to. But have you ever had that one part of your yard, maybe it's an old tire, for, for us it's like, some of the kids' toys that just happen to stay out all the time. Have you ever noticed after a good rainstorm, it'll start to fill up with water? Have you ever noticed what happens with that water as it stays stagnant and unchanging? It begins to get dark. It begins to get poisonous. You're not going to drink that water, are you? It's the continuous source of every single mosquito that happens to bite me in the evening as I'm trying to enjoy my backyard and the beauty of it. That stagnant water, further and further away from the source, is ultimately not life-giving. And ultimately, over time, whether through our own actions of dumping it over or through time and sunlight, it disappears. But should we decide instead to see that the why of going is an invitation to discipleship. We can witness the bubbling up of miracles, of water from rocks, of people being known who thought their whole lives they could not be known. To hear a loved one just found saying, I now am known. I never thought I would be fully known. Now, it's not always perfect, and it's not always easy, as mentioned in our confession. God did not start this process with perfect people. We'll go back and forth. We'll question why, and we'll doubt the solution. But here is the beauty of this, and here is the good news of this whole journey. God will still provide. In the midst of yelling and screaming and near stoning and frustration and thirst and hunger, God will still provide. God will still provide in miraculous ways. But that first step is what it takes. But that first step is full of promises that have been honored throughout all of history. So what's that first step for you today? What is the stubborn place that still needs to be cleared? What is that one step into the wilderness that you have not been prepared to go to yet? What is the Samaria for you? Because there is the place 
where our streams can be renewed and not left to be the stagnant water that we'd rather see thrown out. So let's keep asking ourselves that question as we continue today. What is our first step? Thanks be to God.